We welcome the radio audience to our Bible study as the radio Bible class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio and Twitter with a message that Jesus is alive today. And today's lesson is titled Servants of Christ, and it comes from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Now, Christian radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. We live in a hurting world where there are souls that need to hear Jesus' message of hope and grace. Won't you help us spread the good news? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or send us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Jesus said in Luke 6:38, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Today, we continue our studies in 1 Corinthians, and if you missed any of these lessons, you can go back and listen to them on our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces. www.facebook.com slash radio Bible class with no spaces. Idolatry has expanded today from Paul's day. There was a time when idols were figures and statues or even a person or persons. Today they've expanded into other various forms. What we have to understand is idolatry is an issue of the heart, and it can only be broke by God transforming our heart. Today, things like work and success, our children, our image to others that might be on social media or whatever, materialism, sex, the love of money takes the place of God and giving us our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our security, and our significance. Because we have these things prioritized above God, it's a sin and we need to repent of it. God promises that through the power of the cross, we are now set free from our sinful desires from our flesh. It's only through Jesus that we can find true joy and fulfillment because these other things will fail us when it's all said and done in the end. In our lesson today, Paul continues addressing a form of idolatry that was going on in the church at Corinth. If you remember from chapter 1, Paul has heard from Chloe about a division that's going on in that church. Now there was this four-way split in the church. That those who followed Paul, those who followed Apollos, those who followed Cephas or Peter, and those who followed Christ. It had gotten to a point that those who followed Paul and Apollos had idolized them by putting them on a level that was equal to God. If you remember in chapter 3, he calls them spiritual infants. He told them that they were still fleshly because they still walked in the ways of the world. And Paul called them carnal Christians. It doesn't mean that they weren't saved, but they hadn't matured over the past couple of years after being saved. And he goes on to address their quarreling and jealousy, which really had them reacting in their flesh. In Romans, Paul lists quarreling and jealousy with sexual immorality. Remember Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh that gratifies its desires. Do you find it interesting like I do that Paul is quarreling and jealousy with sexual immorality? 
What we should learn from this is that through strife and jealousy and gossip and other responses of not getting our way is just a result of the flesh and it's not from walking spiritually. You'll also remember from previous lessons that Paul used two illustrations. First one was about gardening. He said, I planted, and that's where we get the church planting theme from. Then Apollos watered, but God made it grow. It wasn't important who planted or who watered. What was important that God made it grow. And then he gives us a second illustration, which was a building. He said, I laid a foundation on Christ, just like a builder would do for a building. It was a solid foundation. Others have come and built on this foundation with different materials, but one day there will be an inspection from the, on this building. And if anyone has used the wrong materials, it'll be torn out and have to be rebuilt. Last week, you know, he finished off this building example and he was teaching that we are the temple. When we believe on Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. The temple in the old days was a place, but now it's like a camper trailer that we take with us everywhere we go. It's mobile. It's not a place. It's in us. God's desire is that we become that temple. In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the temple, that sacred room, the holy of holies. Paul says now that sacred room is you. When the church body learns to operate under the leading of the Holy Spirit, we start seeing miracles happen. We see people saved. We see gifts of the fruit and the Spirit come alive and it works in that local church body. Today, Paul changes the spotlight, though, from the believers of the church to himself and other leaders in the church. He writes what the life of a minister is like, and he uses some very descriptive terms on the roles of the minister or the teacher that's in the church. Now, he does just the opposite of what the Greek culture and the Corinthians mindset would have been. If you remember, this culture like today was all about image and appearance and wisdom, and they really cared what others thought about them. Now, Paul defined this role as a servant, and it wasn't what the Corinthians would have wanted to hear. And he's saying that a servant should be humble and not seeking the praise of others. And I'm sure this rubbed them the wrong way. One of the reasons this church is still a spiritual baby is because they lack this humility. They were prideful. They liked to boast. And so they put Paul and Apollos on a pedestal. You know, they were like rock star status so that they could boast that they followed them. Notice how Paul starts off today addressing how Apollos and Paul were viewed. Verse 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he starts out, this is how you should regard us or you should view us. Now notice he uses us, not I or me, but us. See, he's not in competition with Apollos or any other leader in the church. He's not trying to get a bigger church than Peter. He writes that they are an us. Now think about when you got married. You became an us. When you join a church, you become an us. If your response is me or I, then you're responding selfishly from your flesh. And that's a prideful response, and that's not the humble one that Paul's talking about. Until we die to our flesh and we yield to the Holy Spirit, God will never be able to use us. Why? Because we aren't an us yet. If you get married or you join a church and you stay a me or an I, I can guarantee you frustration jealousy and quarreling that's going to be in your future. We have to become an us for God to be able to use us and fulfill all that he has for us. 
John wrote what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, this is Jesus asking the Father that we become one heart and mind, just as the Father was in him and he was in the Father. It is through this one heart and mind others see Christ through us. See, it's not about me. It's not about I. It's about us. God in us and live through us, living the spirit and not in the flesh. Paul continues by stating two things, though, about this view of us. First, he says that we are servants as Christ. And then second, he says we're stewards of the mystery of God. So let's look at both of these. First, we are stewards. Now, that word steward is an important one to understand. Normally, when you see the word steward in the New Testament, it's a Greek word doulos, which means slave. And that's not the Greek word that he uses here, though. Here he uses huperetes, which means an underling or an under rower. Back in Paul's day, they had big Roman boats. They had two layers of rowers at the bottom of the boat. And both had slaves, and they were the ones rowing. If you've seen the movie Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston in it, then there's a scene where he is condemned to be a slave and he's taking orders, he's rowing to the beat of a drum. And that's what Paul is describing. And these slaves are rowing and they're called oarsmen or under rowers. And that's the image that Paul's trying to give to the Corinthians. So he's saying, this is how you should view us as under rowers of Christ. Paul is one of the apostles and one of the leaders of the church, and he could assume and demanded the respect of everything that goes along with being a leader. In this Greek culture, that was what was expected because it was normal for people to expect others to look up to them. And a matter of fact, the members of the church wanted to be able to boast and brag and have others looked up to their leader. Not Paul. He was countercultural. He says, regard Apollos and I as under rowers as those in the bottom of the boat. We're taking orders from our captain. We're not someone to be put on a pedestal. We're not celebrities. We're just ordinary guys following the orders from above, chained to this oar at the bottom of the ship. And to be chained to an oar at the bottom of the boat meant you were nobody in society. It meant you had no influence. You had no vote. The only thing you could do was what the captain ordered. So why is Paul doing this? Because he's trying to address a behavior in this church. When people would do something in the church, they wanted recognition for it. They wanted to be respected. They wanted to be told how wonderful they were. They wanted all the glory for their service. There are a lot of people in the church today that are the same way. They get upset if someone doesn't make a big deal for what they're doing in the church. Now, it's important to recognize someone's work, but if that's your motive, and the reason you did it, then you've already gotten your reward. And Jesus says that in Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. We need to be careful. We need to check our motives when we are a servant for Christ. Because if we're doing it for show, as we've learned a few weeks ago, we're building our temple with sticks and hay and straw that will burn up when it's tested by fire. What a contrast, though. These members of his church had an image of Paul and Apollos and Peter and other apostles as celebrities. They had put them up on pedestals, but Paul swings the pendulum all the way to the other side, and he says, we're nobodies. We're just slaves of Christ. Well, we need to understand as Christians that we are nobody, too. 
People should see Christ and not us. He's our identity. Just as Paul says, change the way you view us. We need to be like Paul and Apollos and be seen as under rowers and in a lowly position with little to no influence and to only follow Christ's orders. And we should be serving with humility and not in a boastful, prideful way. Our growth spiritually will always run parallel with our humility. The more we die to ourselves, the more that Christ is then seen through us. So we need to learn to have a servant or under rower's mindset. Next, he says, we are stewards. Now, this word steward is interesting, too. It's the Greek word ekonomos, and it means manager or overseer. It was normally a slave that was over all his master's affair. Now, think back to the Old Testament and of Joseph. And when Joseph worked his way up in Potiphar's house, you can go back to Genesis 39 and read this. It says that Potiphar liked everything he did and he made his personal attendant or he was a steward of his entire household and everything he owned. It says in verse 6 that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything but what food to eat and drink. Joseph took care of everything else. Because the Lord's blessing was on Joseph, Potiphar's affairs were blessed too. Now this eventually all ended badly, but it wasn't Joseph's fault. It was Potiphar's wife who had other ideas. But Joseph was a steward, just like Paul describes, to the house of Potiphar. And Paul is saying that Apollos and I are stewards of the mystery of God. And as stewards, they were in charge of teaching the word of God. They were in charge of managing it. Not only were people to hear it, but they were also needed to help them to believe it and live it out. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 42. And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and a wise manager, whom his manager will set over his household to give them their portion of food at a proper time? The steward's role is to be a wise manager of God's word. So Paul says, stewards of the mystery of God. Now when he uses the word mystery here, it isn't about something that has to be solved or figured out. As we've studied before, this means that which wasn't known before has now been revealed. What he's saying is we, Apollos and I, are revealing Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the finished work on the cross to all people. And as servants of Christ and ministers and teachers, we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone. Not only do we teach the word of God, but we also need to be there to answer questions that others may have. We need to help them understand the word of God. And also we should be teaching the whole Bible and hold nothing back just because it may not be popular or we don't think right at that moment in time. See, all of us as Christians need to have a handle on God's word so that we may steward it with others that are around us. Also, each of us individually have been given gifts and blessings to be stewards over as well. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks of oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As a Christian, we are all stewards and we have two things to be stewards over. First is the truth of God's word delivered to others. And then second, the gifts that God has given each of us individually. How he's wired us and how he's made us uniquely. 
We're to use it for God's glory too. So we're to be servants and we are to be stewards. In verse 2, we find what is required for us as servants and stewards. Look with me. Moreover, it's required of stewards to be found faithful. Now, if you look at that word faithful in the Greek, it's pistos, which means trustworthy or trustful or sure or true. It's been said that without faithfulness to God, there can be no Christian life. We need to understand that the steward is faithful to his master. This means the steward may or may not please the other members of the household. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So our top priority as a steward is to please our master, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about the first two of the Ten Commandments, they deal directly with us being faithful to God. First, you shall have no other gods before me. That's pretty plain and simple, I think. The second, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now this sounds simple, but there are Christians today that are committing idolatry. Things like work and success and their families and sex and love of money and the list could go on and on and on has taken the place of God. They no longer get their fulfillment or their satisfaction or their security or their identity from God, but from these other things. To be found faithful, we've got to start putting God back in our life as number one. To be faithful to God, we have to live it out on a consistent basis on who we are in Christ. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.1 that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. See, he's teaching them that we have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. So what does it mean to walk with God? Is it merely living by rules and regulations, making a daily resolution that you know, we'll quickly break? No, it's much more than that. It's like this. What happens when you go walking with someone? Imagine that you and a close friend are enjoying a walk down a country road. You're in close proximity. You talk, you laugh, you listen, you share your heart. Your attention is focused on the other person to the exclusion of almost everything else. So you're in harmony and you both enjoy the time spent with each other. And that's how we're to walk with God. When we enter into an intimate relationship with God, he becomes our heart's greatest desire. Knowing him, hearing his voice, sharing our heart with him, seeking to please him by obeying his commands. He becomes everything to us. Meeting with him is not just an activity for Sunday morning, but an everyday thing. We live to fellowship with him. The great A.W. Tozer states that the goal of every Christian should be to live in a state of unbroken worship. To live or walk in unbroken worship would only be possible when we walk daily with God. As a steward of God, we're called to be faithful. We aren't called to results. Remember the analogy that Paul gave us about the gardening. He planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. See, it's our job to plant and to water. God owns the outcome. When you share the word with others, when you are operating inside your gifting and you may not see results, that's okay. God owns the increase or the outcome. You may or may not see it, but we aren't called to the results. We're called to be faithful. Now, you may be serving and ministering. It may seem like nothing's sticking, 
but you just stay faithful and let God own the outcome. So Paul says a servant is humble and a steward is faithful no matter the cost. Then we see there's an evaluation or judgment that we'll go through as a servant of Christ. Look with me at verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Paul says we'll be judged by others. Paul starts out with others because he was being judged by the Corinthians. And he tells them, it really doesn't matter to me what you think or how you judge me. As a Christian that is serving, I can promise you that you're going to be judged by others. You're going to be criticized by them. There's always going to be people who criticize what you do, but it doesn't matter. It's what God thinks that really matters. Now, this reminds me of growing up. When my dad would correct me or one of my brothers, he would say, I'm not in a popularity contest. I'll be the mean old bear. What he was saying, even though I didn't want to hear it, was it was more important to him for me to learn to act right and for me to be corrected and for me to learn respect than for him to be my friend. See, it didn't mean that my dad didn't love me, but he was going to be found faithful as a father and a dad. Whether it was popular or not, he was going to be faithful. Whether I or anyone else liked it or judged him, he was going to be faithful. No, I turned out okay, but man, I still say he could have been a little less faithful at times. Verse 4 shows us that we are judged by ourselves also. Look at me at the first half of verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. What Paul is saying is, I'm not aware of anything I've done wrong, but I'm not perfect. He didn't let the criticism take him out, but he didn't completely blow it off either. He says, I don't think I did anything, but there's a possibility. And when we judge ourselves, we most often don't get it right. We either judge too hard or not hard enough. Paul is wise to check himself to make sure he didn't overlook something. The lesson we can learn here is not to blow criticism off completely. There could be some truth in it, and we need to check ourselves. Last, he finishes with verse 4 and 5 with how we're ultimately judged by the Lord. It is the Lord who judged me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring the light the things that are now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul saying, criticism is going to come as a servant and we aren't to respond back with judgment. That's the Lord's job. He's the ultimate judge. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Do not judge or you'll be judged. With the same judgment you use on others, it will be used in judging you. So as a servant of Christ, just understand criticism's going to come and we should expect it. And we shouldn't be moved by that criticism. Then he finishes up in verse 5 saying, We shouldn't pronounce judgment, but we should leave it to God. Remember, there'll be a day that he will bring out in the open the things that we never dreamed would come to light, like our motives and our purpose and our thoughts. This shouldn't surprise us because last week I highlighted that God knows our thoughts. He knows what's going on and that there'll be a day when God will reveal everything and he'll expose it when it's necessary. And Paul knew that one day when he stood before God, that he would be rewarded because he was a humble servant and a faithful steward of God's word. I would challenge each of you listening today, will you be a humble servant and a faithful steward of God's word? And if so, then you'll have no fear when you stand before God either, just like Paul. Understand between now and then, as you serve 
and you're being a faithful servant, there'll be others that will criticize you and they may even try to condemn you, but remain faithful. Be a steward of God's word. Serve humbly as a servant of God and God will take care of the rest. Now let me close with this final thought. We lost a great man of faith this week, the Reverend Billy Graham. I can't think of a better example of our lesson today. He was a humble servant and a faithful steward of God's word. The media has labeled him as America's pastor. He's been called the Apostle Paul of the 20th century. But if you go back to the year 1953, where he held one of his first crusades in Syracuse, there was criticism by fellow pastors saying that he preached too much doctrine. Others believed that he was too flamboyant. Out of all of New York's churches, only 48 helped support the crusade with 125 counselors, less than half of what was really needed. Even when the criticism and all the pushback, he stated, I'm sure the Lord can accomplish a wonderful thing here anyway. I've never seen a city in such a need of a crusade as this one. Even today, he still has critics. You can go Google Billy Graham criticism and find multiple and multiple posts. Even with all the outpouring towards him after the news broke of his passing, he still had critics. There will always be critics, but we're to remain faithful. We're to be a humble servant and we're to be a steward of God's word, just like Reverend Billy Graham. I'm sure that several days ago when Pastor Graham passed from this life into eternity, he was welcomed into heaven with a well done, my good and faithful servant. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and I just want to stop and thank you for your son, for sending him on the cross, for giving us the cross in a way to overcome the chasm, our separation that we have from sin. And Lord, that we would understand that you are to be first. You want an intimate relationship with us. You want to walk with us daily. You don't want a, just a one day a week thing. You want to daily walk with us. And there are some that look at pastors and teachers and they have the wrong view of them. They put them on a pedestal. They see them as a rock star, as a celebrity. But Paul says that as teachers and leaders, we are to be servants. And we're to be stewards of, of God's word. That we're to be that under rower. Lord, that we're to be humble. And then we're also to be faithful like the steward, like Joseph was for Potiphar's house. Lord, we will always be judged. We look at Billy Graham right here in the clothes and how, what a wonderful legacy he left. Yet there are critics today even towards him. And that we'll always be criticized by others. And we'll also be critical to ourselves. But ultimately, we need to remember that it's only by you. You are the, you're the ultimate judge. You're the one that we need to please. It's not man. It's not ourselves. It is you. Lord, maybe there's one that's heard this today and they say, hey, that's me. I've let other things take a higher priority in my life. And I need to turn that back over. Today, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they would give it back to you. They would give you all of their heart. Not some, but all of their heart. Maybe there's one that doesn't know you at all. I would pray today would be the day that they would turn to you. They would confess Jesus as their Lord. They would ask him in their heart. And today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we thank you 
Lord, we're going to give you all the honor and praise and glory for it's in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.